Good morning, New Life Manitou. My name is Danae Glass. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of the scripture? Today's reading is from Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's continue standing as we pray. Lord, we simply pray the word, speak, your servants are listening. And Lord, you first served us, and so Lord, it is with this joy that we pray in your name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and all God's people shouted, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Today's sermon is an exact repeat from last week. Not that you didn't get it, but it's worth talking about a second time. This passage is supreme in the New Testament. This passage is a chief passage in all of the Bible. This is a paramount passage. This passage is like the center of the Philippians' gravity upon which all these ideas that Paul wants to say goes around and around and around. And one of the main points of Philippians, this book that we are studying and have been studying for now, this is the sixth week, talks about joy. Why should we be joyous? Well, because God himself humbled himself to become like us. I'll say that over here. God humbled himself to become one of us. He's fully God and fully human. Amen. Okay, we're going to have to do some work here this morning because this is, I mean, this passage, it is very possible. I'm not saying it is, but amongst church historians and people that study the New Testament and the early church, they say this is probably Paul quoting something, and he's either quoting a very early creed that the Christians memorized and would say to encourage each other, or it's very possible, maybe you've heard this, that this is a hymn that the early church sang these words. Have you heard that before? And so it's, it's all referred to as a kenosis hymn, and we'll talk about that word in just a minute. But last week, we talked about the same passage, so it is a repeat, and it's worth repeating. Last week, Andrew Arndt, you remember him, he was right here speaking, and the main thrust of his argument was that because Jesus serves humility and is humble, we should serve. And so one of the sticky points that I remember is he kind of slammed, not the personality test, you remember this from last week, like the strength finders, Myers-Briggs, but he mentioned, and maybe some of of you, maybe some of us have been guilty of this, of like knowing our strengths and saying, well, you know, my strength isn't cleaning up after kids. My strength isn't mopping. I'm more of a public speaker. I'm more supervisorily in my roles. I'm more of a, you know, I'm more, you know, oversee things. And he was like, be quiet. Don't do that. Dude, pick up a mop and get to work. Why? Because that is what Jesus did. God of God, very God, became one of us and in humility served. So we should serve. That was last week's message, very practical. This week is going to be kind of the how 
and the why. We are going to get theological. There are going to be uh, a couple nerd alerts. I'll tell you what that is in just a minute in case you're new to New Life Manor 2 because it's a very weird thing we do, and it's mainly to humor me. I don't think you enjoy it, but I enjoy it, <laughs> so I will explain it later. Um, so today's talk is the how and the why. This sermon will answer the question. It will answer a question. I think all sermons need to answer a question. And this sermon will answer a very, very important question amongst Christians, non-Christians, amongst humanity. The question is, what is God like? And this sermon will, it's one of many sermons to answer that question. And the answer, ultimately, to give away the ending, is, of course, Jesus. And if we can get to know him, like sometimes Christians make really big deals about theological, theolo- I can't even say the word, theological things, and there's debates and, con- and Christians, and then people from the outside look in. It's like, oh, these Christians are talking about things, and they're using their Christianese. What is it all about? It's all about Jesus. And if you get to know him, and this passage says a lot about him, then you get to know who God is. So if you would turn to Philippians, would you flip to Philippians? It's the, it's the same. I have, I have like three jokes, and so I got to use them um, because that's all I have. Let's do a quick review. So we're six weeks into this sermon series on Philippians. Who wrote the book of Philippians? Paul, you could say Paul and Timothy, because that's what it says in the very beginning, but really uh, the the author always just says me or I instead of us, and so really it it is Paul. Who is he writing to? The people in the city of Philippi. We don't know where Paul is exactly, what city city he is in, but we do know where, like the kind of place he is, and he is in prison, jail. He is in chains. He literally says that a couple times in this letter. One of the major themes is, of course, joy. He mentions joy 16 times in this whole book that is only 104 verses, so quite a few times for this little book. And joy centers around the reason why we have joy is because Jesus, very God, humbled himself, became one of us, and served. And so that is the passage we're looking at today. This sermon just has really one point with two parts. We'll put it on the board. It is quite simple. Jesus, colon, fully God, fully human. So that's, that's really a one-point sermon, but you would be uh, true to say it's, it's two parts. We'll talk first about him being fully God and then him being fully human, which will bring us to the very first nerd alert, which a nerd alert, if you're new to New Life Management, it's a silly thing I say, and then you all make an alert sound, and it wakes us up and gets us ready for something that is, is like college-level, seminary-level stuff that needs some background, needs some explaining. It's a chance for some of you to fall asleep, but we don't want you to fall asleep, so that's why we do the alert sound. Nerd alert. Okay, good. That's, for those of you that are new, I apologize. It, it's, not the, it's not all, it's me. It's me that I'm apologizing for. It's, it's a weird thing. So the nerd alert is the hypostatic union. What is the hypostatic union? Well, it's kind of this Greek phrase that means that Jesus is 100% 
man, 100% God, without any changeover. He's not like a side of the coin, like half God, half human. No, he's fully God and fully man. And, and throughout church history, this is what we've said. And, and looking at the words Jesus said and looking at the Bible and what the Bible has to say about Jesus, we, we come away with this idea. Like, we don't know how exactly it works, but the hypostatic union means that Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he makes himself nothing. And so we'll talk about this in a minute, but the Greek word here to continue this nerd alert is the word kenosis, which we'll talk about later, which there is some controversy over this theological idea, but I would encourage us and say that, you know, some people would say it's, it's a dangerous theology to talk about. Well, it's only dangerous if you mess it up. So don't mess it up. It's like the Trinity being like, oh, that's a dangerous doctrine. Well, it is if you mess it up. You mess it up, you get three gods. We're not polytheists. You get very confused confused, you get heresy. Don't mess it up. So we're going to talk about kenosis as long as we keep in our minds that Jesus is fully God, 100%, fully human, 100%, then we won't mess up the kenosis idea. Cool beans? Cool beans. Okay, first point, Jesus, colon, fully God. Let's look at the passage, Philippians 2, starting in verse 5. It says this, "...in your relationships with one another have the same mindset of Christ Jesus." And here it is. Let this sink in. "...who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage." Look at that phrase, very nature God. God. Your Bible might say something like very form of God. It might say very substance God. The Greek here is morphe theu. What does that mean? It means he's God. Like he is fully in the nature, in the substance, in the form. He is God himself. And this word that will lead us to our second nerd alert, nerd alert, is that this word in the Greek, the, the, the verb, is a present active participle. Don't fall asleep. What does this mean? This means, for, if you remember from your English class or some of you have taken other languages, a present active participle means it's currently taking place and continuously taking place. Jesus is in the nature God, and he didn't change his nature when he became a human and humbled himself among us. He was fully God and fully man at the same time. But here we are in this first point talking about Jesus being fully God. So let's continue. It talks about him being equal with God. How can you be equal with God if you're not God. That doesn't make any sense. Of course, he is fully God. Verse 10 says this, and it's the conclusion of what this hymn or this creed or whatever it is Paul is saying says, and it says this, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge, what? That Jesus is Lord. Like, so this passage, people look at it and and get messed up with this kenosis idea and they mess it up because they say, oh, Jesus is just a human being. He was not God while he was on earth. That's what heretics say. That that is not right. That is uh, a kenosis heresy. And that's clearly just not in this passage. It says, what does it say about Jesus? Every tongue will confess on earth and under earth, everywhere that Jesus is Lord. So we can't forget that. We must 
believe and trust fully that this passage is saying what it intends, that Jesus is fully God. If he wasn't God, if Jesus, when he was doing his ministry, uh, about three years as recorded in the New Testament, in the Gospels um, of his life, if we put it all together, if Jesus really wasn't God, well, then he deserves an Academy Award for pretending to be God because the things he said, the things he did for those three years of ministry make it pretty clear that he is both claiming to be God and he is doing the things that God does. He says things like this. He says, before Abraham was, and he says the word, I am. In Greek, ego and me, which is a, 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 a grab from the word Yahweh in the Hebrew word God speaks to Moses. Moses says, what's your name? And God says to Moses, I am. And so Jesus says that, and there's no confusion amongst the people because this crowd of people, what do they want to do? They want to kill him right then and there. And they say why they want to kill him because it's blasphemy to them that you, a man, claim to be God. So it's clear to the people hearing, it's clear that Jesus is saying what he means, that he is God. He says things like, I am the Father and one. He says things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Clearly, 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 Jesus is God. Amen? Amen. (laughs) Pretty soon, there's going to be, uh, and I haven't seen it with my own eyes yet, but pretty soon, you're going to see You're going to walk into a store, like a retail store or something, and you are going to see Christmas stuff. I realize it's October, but it's just around the corner. It is is coming up soon. You're going to see it. And what I want you to do when you see it is to not get mad. I want you to think of this moment because what this moment represents is a talk about the incarnation. God becoming man. That is really the reason behind the season. I realize it's not Christmas yet. Some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. But trust me, it used to be when I was a kid, it was like you couldn't do Christmas until after Thanksgiving, right? Isn't that a rule? And then somewhere along the line, it became like, well, I guess that's okay, as long as it's after Halloween. And nowadays, it's like it's creeping up. So I guarantee at some point before Halloween, you will see Christmas stuff. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to think of the incarnation. I don't want you to get mad. I don't want you to think about retail or materialism and, and all this stuff. Like, oh, they're just putting their stuff up for us to buy stuff. I just want you to slow down and think about the incarnation, the true reason behind the season. Are you guys okay with that? Okay. All right. That's what you're supposed to do. This will bring us um, to nerd alert number three. Nerd alert. All right. This has to do with... Um, there's, there's a heretical word, uh, it's called Arianism. It's a very early church, uh, it's named after this guy, Arius, that said that Jesus isn't fully God. He tried to read the Bible in such a way and, and limit Jesus, and he said that Jesus was never God. He was a first uh, being that was created from God, and that Jesus wasn't truly God, and the church just went crazy. They said, no way. Reread the text. Clearly, Jesus is God. He always has been. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Like this is clear throughout scripture. And yet there was a person trying to weasel into the church and say, well, he wasn't really God. He tried to limit Jesus into being not God. 
This kenosis idea is kind of like that, only different. This kenosis idea from this passage that some people take, stay with me, says that Jesus was God and then did, became not God while he was on earth. And it's a little tempting to believe that. I'll talk about it a little bit more later. But it's tempting because, well, if Jesus was just a man, then some of the things he did, we could also do. And I'm not saying that miracles aren't for today. I would be the first to say miracles are for today. Amen? Our church believes that. We, I've, we've seen things amongst us. We could read the book of Acts where miracles happen around Paul. This is clear. But I don't think we need to say that there are miracles and Jesus isn't God. We could say Jesus is fully God, fully man, and miracles still happen today. Jesus is God on this earth, the incarnation. This is one of the reasons why a couple weeks ago I was in Israel. It's an amazing trip, very blessed. My first time to go to Israel, See, saw the sights. It was truly like a tour, like a go, go, go kind of tour. And my favorite part of the journey, I think I mentioned this last week, was going to the Sea of Galilee. We were on this 15-passenger bus uh, going up a hill. The, our tour guide was talking about who knows what, just rambling kind of. He's got this microphone. It's really loud. And we, oh, we crest this hill, and there is the Sea of Galilee. And it's really just a lake, although the name is the sea. It's this big lake, and it just dawned on me that like, okay, about 85 something percent of Jesus' ministry was done around this lake. Like he visited the towns around this lake. He took a boat out in the middle of this lake. There was a storm. He was asleep. He walked on water on this lake, like right here. This happened. It was just like, like mind blown. I start crying in the back of the bus. I put on sunglasses. I'm not listening to the tour guide and I'm just weeping. Why? Because God himself came to this earth and he was right here. Like he was right here. The same thing happened when uh, we went to Jerusalem and we went to the pools of Bethesda. Have you heard the, the story in the Bible where a man uh, paralyzed for something like 38 years is there, Jesus meets him. The whole area is like as big as this room and maybe a little bit of the property. Like it's a tiny little area and I'm there, tour guys talking about who knows what and I'm just bawling my eyes out with my sunglasses on thinking God himself was right here right here. I mean, maybe here, maybe there, but it was like right here. This, I mean, like half a football size area, like he was here somewhere, God himself. And I was just like, wow, the Lord was here as one of us, fully God and fully man right here, which leads us to this next point is that Jesus is Jesus colon fully human. He's fully human and he's fully man at the same time. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Let's flesh this out. <laughs> Sometimes you just crack yourself up, you know, and it's okay. It's okay. Let's review. We started this sermon saying this sermon will answer the question, what is God like? And... Um, if we understand that Jesus, fully human, one of us, is also fully God, fully, fully, the, the, the light, the, the one who is and was, the Alpha, the Omega, if both of these things are true, then we can become 
understanders of God in a way that nobody else can. If we can get Jesus, if we know who Jesus is, we can understand God on a level that people who do not know Jesus can understand. This sermon may need to shift our thoughts of who God is. I think a popular thought in the world around us today is, is maybe in some ways like the ancient Greek gods, that we can create a god in our own image. Like we could create this God that's, that's, that's only does this and he's like Santa Claus and he gives us stuff. We can create a God that is um, just the way we would like to, like our own self-centeredness. Oh, that must be like what God is like. He's self-centered and, and our own strength. We could create a God who, who just does this and is like a, like a candy machine. Like we put in money and out comes candy. Like the, the, there are images of what we can project upon God in this This passage, amongst many passages, says actually God is like this. He's fully God and he humbles himself. And so we could ask the question, if we want to know God, we could ask questions like, well, what would Jesus do? Do you remember the bracelets, the WWJD? Raise your hand proudly if you used to own one. Raise them high. Look at all the hands. I was talking to Taylor, our drummer today. Who's, how old are you, Taylor? 21. He didn't know what one was. And I was just like, oh, Taylor. But he, he said he's going to get one, right? You're going to get one. He's going to get one later. I think they're coming back. Like the 90s are back in style. I think the, I think the bracelets. I, I think I, I always liked the bracelets. I thought they were cool. So the bracelet is WWJD, and it means what would Jesus do? And people wore them, and people would ask each other, well, what is that? What does that mean? And people would explain, well, I try to live my life in such a way that I always ask in different situations, what would Jesus do? Well, why do you do that? Well, because we believe that Jesus is God. And to understand God, we, can, uh, we understand Jesus, and, and what he does is extremely important because it's just like what God would do in this situation. Imagine kids playing, not my kids, they would never do this, but uh, two brothers, let's just say, an older one and a younger one fighting over who's going to go first down the slide, right? It would never happen in our house because we have angels, but they're fighting and and like, "Ah, I want to go first, and the little one's pushing the bigger one, the bigger one's trying to push the little one, and they're trying to put, I just want to go down first. I mean, they both get to go down, but one wants to go down first, and so mom comes over and says, guys, guys. What would Jesus do in this situation? And they both know. Well, Jesus would let the other kid go first. Okay, yeah, yeah. So the older one says, hey, I got an idea. Uh, Why don't you be Jesus first? (laughs) Uh, Here's another joke about humility and about the, the... there's a plane, a small Cessna airplane, a charter airplane, five people in it, uh, the pilot piloting the plane, a a, a boy, a doctor, a lawyer, and a preacher all in this plane. And the plane runs into some malfunctions, two malfunctions, the engine stops and the plane flaps stop working. And so the pilot is like, we are going down. This is horrible. This is the end. This plane, I have no control of the plane, the engines, the wings, nothing. We are going to go down. We are going to crash. I'm so sorry. There happens to be four parachutes. There's five people. It happens to be four parachutes. He puts on one and brags and it says, you know, I'm a pilot. I've been piloting all these years. I don't deserve to die. See you later. He jumps out of the plane. 
that leaves four people and three parachutes. The doctor steps up with all his pride and says, well, my business is saving people. I've saved more people than you guys will ever save. I will save more people. The world needs me. He puts on a parachute, hops out. The lawyer, he, he pops up with uh, just uh, bragging and, 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 and non-humility and says, well, I'm the smartest one in here. I'm pro- maybe the smartest person in the world. I'm really smart. World needs me. I'm the gift, uh, God's gift to this world. Puts on uh, a parachute, hops out the plane. That leaves the boy and the preacher in one parachute. And the preacher does the act of humility and looks at the boy and says, son, you have your, a long life ahead of you. He, the preacher says, I know that when I die, I'm, I'm very hopeful and very sure that I will stand before Jesus and, and Jesus will uh, welcome me into the kingdom. Here, you take the parachute. And the boy says, well, well, there's actually two parachutes left. The smartest guy in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. <laughs> uh, humility is... Have you ever gone to a, a like a party or a, some sort of a, like an event, maybe even church? Go to the party thinking in your own mind, like, I'm here for attention. Like, I'm here to see how many people will tell me how great I am and how well-dressed I am. I just want attention. I'm sure we've all, I'm sure we've all been guilty of going places. Like, I'm, I'm going to go and just show off and strut my stuff and do my thing. And how does that usually end up working? Well, it usually ends up working like, well, not enough people or nobody noticed that I was wearing or nobody noticed that I got a haircut or no, like you just kind of, you leave the party or the gathering or your church or whatever depressed because you went in wanting the attention. You went in wanting people to build you up. That's very different than going to, maybe many of you have gone to parties or gatherings or church with an attitude of, I'm going to go and serve. I'm going to go and recognize other people instead of saying, here I am. I'm going to go saying, there you are. Look at that. Look at that. You're, you're, you look great. Look at this. You go to a place to serve, to be a host, to lift other people up. And how does that usually end up working? It ends up working great. It, it, there's a power. There is a life that comes with serving and humbling yourself. Jesus is the ultimate servant, the ultimate one who comes to this world to host the world. And I think there's this thought here that Jesus is, is giving up uh, something to become one of us. It's not his nature, but he gives up, I wrote it down as like the privileges of his nature. The, the, the text in the NIV says he gave up the advantage of divinity to become like one of us. Think of a, a, like a young couple starting off dating. Maybe there's like a, uh, like a Southern Belle and like a mountain man Matthew is, uh, is, is dating this Southern Belle. And mountain man Matthew decides when he's dating her to give up some of his advantages, give up some of his hobbies. And so he wouldn't before have been caught dead going to a movie like a chick flick. But here mountain man Matthew is going to see a chick flick. It, it, does Matthew cease to be Matthew? No, he's still Matthew, and yet he is in a place where he's like, I'm giving up, a move. like I would rather be doing this, but here I am serving and giving up in order for this relationship to grow. Think about it like this. Parents, if you have kids, especially little kids, you have to give up things in order to take care of them, in order to love them, in order to be in a relationship. As a parent, you give up things like sleep 
and free time and money and privacy and sanity. You willingly give these things up in order to have a kid and to be in a relationship and to take care of these kids. Um, Jesus, I was talking with Brett Davis uh, earlier this week, and Brett just said, you know, another way to think about this is that Jesus was fully God and then took on the nature of a human being. And it just got me thinking, yeah, it's like he's adding to himself another nature, and he's not at all taking away or changing his God nature. This leads us to the fourth and final nerd alert nerd alert. Thank you. Um, And this is uh, just a little bit more of the talk of kenosis. And kenosis is this idea that some people would say, well, it's it's dangerous to talk about because you're talking about Jesus emptying himself. And that Greek word is kenosis. It's dangerous to talk about. And I would say, well, just as long as you don't mess it up, it's not dangerous to talk about and to think about and to dwell upon because scripture actually says Jesus emptied himself and became like one of us. Like I said, it is somewhat, uh, uh, it is attractive for some to say that Jesus is only a human and it's attractive and it's, it's a heresy but it's, but it's attractive because it would say, well, anything Jesus could do, we could do. And, and to that we would say, well, we don't, he was fully God. He received worship. We can't do that, can we? No, we shouldn't. In fact, Paul, who is accustomed to miracles, and I, I would, I'm preaching in a church that so we believe in miracles and miracles for today and, and healings, and we believe these things very strongly. Paul, in Acts 14, he goes to this city of Lystra, which is in modern-day Turkey, and the people there start to worship him and Barnabas and want to make a sacrifices to him and call them by Greek gods' names. And what does Paul and Barnabas do? They're like, no, hold the phone. It says they rip their clothes, like Hulk Hogan. Like they're just like, ah, no, don't do this horrible thing. Do not worship us. Do not make a sacrifice to us. We are not gods. You cannot do this. What does Jesus do after uh, the cross, after the resurrection? Thomas is there touching his hands and his feet, uh, his side. Thomas says, my Lord and my God. What does Jesus do? He welcomes it. Jesus is worshipped. So Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time. And yet, I I put it down like this. Jesus cooperated, welcomed the limitations of humanity, and voluntarily humbled himself, not losing at all the nature of God that he had. I'll say it one more time. Jesus cooperated with the limitations of humanity and voluntarily humbled himself, not at all losing the God nature that he had. There's this movie, um, maybe you've seen it. Uh, it came out 15 years ago. It's, it's about Ray Charles and uh, the, the actor that played Ray Charles. Is, uh, his name is Jamie Foxx. And Jamie Foxx, uh, this is a silly example. It's a metaphor, so just bear with me and know that it's... it's I'm, I'm, comparing like Jesus humbling himself to this actor in this role, but it's, it's a silly uh, comparison, but bear with me. Um, so Jamie Foxx plays, wants to play the role of Ray Charles, and he decides um, to do a couple things. He loses 30 pounds for the role. He had a dentist chip his real teeth to, to make him look a little bit more like uh, Ray Charles, and then that's not even the kicker. The kicker is this. Ray Charles is, of course, 
blind. And so uh, Jamie Foxx, every day, in, in order to prepare for the role and during filming, every day had his eyes glued shut. For like 14, 15 hours a day, eyes glued shut. He said, especially at the beginning, he would have panic attacks, like needing to be able to see and not being able to see and open his eyes. His friends, he'd go out like with the crew and the cast to lunch, and then people would kind of wander around and just leave him there, like as if he could make his way back. He's blind. And he was just like, he was, he underwent, he took on the nature, the form, the uh, identity of a blind person in order to play this role. And by the way, he did win an Academy Award for this role. And I just think, is that something? It's a silly example, I know, but is that something like Jesus limiting himself in order to fully become like one of us? Maybe. I don't know. I'm going to, at the end of this sermon, which will be in just a couple minutes here, I want us to prayerfully read uh, these words once again. If, if this was an ancient church creed, praise the Lord. If this was an ancient church hymn, praise the Lord. If this is just a, a chief, superior, paramount piece of Scripture in all of the New Testament, in all of the Bible, this is worth us meditating on. Because what this means, if Jesus is fully God and fully man at the same time, if he's fully God, well, then he is fully able to save us. He is not just someone showing, pointing the way to God He's God. He's not just a prophet making proclamations about who God is and what God is like. He is God. If he's fully God, he is fully able to say, save us, and not just say, over here, I'll show you the way. I'll guide you to the way and the truth of the life. Instead, Jesus is able to say, I am the way, the truth, the life. So if he's fully God, he's fully able to save and the other point, if he's fully a human, fully man, well, then he's fully able to know us. He's fully able, like there's no bad day that we can be having and saying, God, you don't know what it's like to blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. He was right there. He has been there. He is with us in every way. He came as one of us. He's fully able to save, and he is fully able to know what we are like and that we have gone through. So if you would with me this morning, would you stand? We're going to reread this passage in a prayerful way. If you're in the band, you can come forward. We're going to read this, and then Brett is going to lead us to the table, to the communion table. But Paul says this, and we think he may be quoting a hymn or a creed. We don't know for sure. But Paul says that in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. Who? Here's what it says. This is Jesus. Being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of God the Father.